Today on Sagittarian Matters, pushing the form of comics forward with my guest, Leslie Stein. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Los Angeles, California. I'm hoping I sound more like Casey Kasem. Um, I went to the DMV this week wearing a school uniform in hopes they would be nicer to me, and as a matter of fact, they were. You know, I don't know if it was the uniform or not. It is part of my normal clothes, but they were pretty nice to me at the Glendale DMV this week. Also, today I started listing some childhood crushes for a friend, and I thought I would share them with you. One of them, the number one that came to mind was... Tim Curry in the movie The Worst Witch, he played a man witch and he sang some songs and was like kind of evil but also kind of gay and I liked that. Also Steve Martin with black hair in Little Shop of Horrors as a sadist dentist, liked that. Uh, My Charlie McCarthy doll, which is an inanimate object, a ventriloquist dummy, if you will. My number one crush of all time was Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block. Some people said he was gay. I said there was no way he was gay because he was, I mean, he was for me, right? And at the time, I didn't really understand that he could, I don't know. I'm not going to go there, but uh, I liked him a lot. And last but not least, Justin, the very handsome chivalrous rat from the Rats of Nim. I just posted this crush list like 15 minutes ago on Instagram, and already six different people have blown up my inbox saying like, Oh, Justin looks so stately and handsome in his uniform. I think that this is a common crush. If you had a crush on Justin from Rats of Nim, please get in touch with the podcast and let me know. Okay, in other news, I actually have a guest this week. Her name is Leslie Stein, and she's a cartoonist. You may have seen her comics on Vice. She has a new book called Present with Drawn Quarterly, which is beautiful and hardcover with cutouts on the cover. I really recommend it. I think it would be a great gift for any person in your life particularly any woman, um, just because that's what I like to give gifts to. She's the creator of the Eye of the Majestic Creature series, as well as the diary comic Bright Eyed at Midnight. Um, Her work used to be black and white with a lot of stippling and details. And then over the past few years, she has morphed into someone who draws in a more abstract and watercolor way. And it's really fascinating and exciting. And she seems very free. I'm always chasing freedom. We talk about this in the podcast. Leslie joined me in a borrowed living room in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, New York, uh, where we tried to chat over the sound of honking car horns and garbage trucks gunning it up and down the street. I don't know if it's garbage day every day in Bed-Stuy. Maybe a listener can enlighten me, but I've spent a considerable amount of time there, and I'm pretty sure that every day, 24 hours a day, there is a garbage truck hauling ass and gunning it up the street wherever I am. Maybe I'm just attractive to garbage trucks. I don't know what it is. But they seem very abundant whenever I'm in Brooklyn. Okay, I hope you enjoy the podcast this week and my conversation with Leslie Stein. Stein, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you so much for having me. We are in an apartment in Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, producer Ponyo is wearing her headphones, doing the levels, <laughs> sitting at the board, also getting pet. I loved 
the um, the opening to your new book talking about changing your perspective about things, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of like this like magic just happened here, where it's kind of like when I'm eating carob and chocolate and I'm I'm eating carob and my friends are like that's disgusting and I have to say you can't think of it as a chocolate substitute you have to think of it as its own thing, yeah. like these are their own thing, but um. Can you describe a little bit? Because I, I was looking at it again, and I was like, oh, I know I really liked this. What was the part I wanted to talk to her about? And I was reading it, and I was like, the whole introduction I like. That's so fun. So the book's not out till next week. So I, it's just I've never written an introduction to a book, and I was a little nervous about it. Um, but I wanted to be really transparent in how difficult it was for me. It was a journey to, like, draw comics. Yeah. And how you can turn that journey into something positive instead of just something maddening, you know? Well, so can you tell uh, listeners what how you kind of changed your perspective on it when you were like, oh, no. So the comics that I got into when I was in my late teens were like people that I think are masters pretty much. You know, it'd be like Dan Clouds and Charles Burns were my favorite artists, right? But I'm thinking, I mean, I'm also a musician, so I'm going to make a lot of references to music because it helps me kind of navigate how I feel about, like, certain artists. And But so let's say, like, Sonic Youth is your favorite band, right? Yeah. So you get a bunch of pedals, and then you try to be Sonic Youth. You're just going to be a shitty version of Sonic Youth. Yeah. But if you just, like, let that seep in and learn from it in terms of composition, writing, design, or some kind of, like, whatever intellectual stimulation you get from it and then try to forget about it and then to do your own version of that so it's like well you know for this style that I'm working it's like I want to be the best at the watercolors but in my and the only the way that I can be mm-hmm. so anyway so before I kind of figured that out because that was a long time ago I thought you know, every page I'm having to draw something I've never drawn before. You know, how do you draw a truck? How do you draw the street? How do you do a perspective? And I just, because I was holding myself up to those standards of these dudes, like, and women, I, and, you know, like Phoebe Lechner, <laughs> gosh, like, she can draw, like, crazy. It's, like, so intimidating. Yeah. So, uh, so I kind of changed my perspective, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to pretend I'm making a present for somebody instead of, like, some masterpiece or something that I think I'm supposed to do, and, like, a birthday card almost, mm-hmm. you know, and that, like, people will like it just because they know how much I care, you know, so that's how I changed my perspective so that making it became more intimate, mm-hmm. you know. That would work for me, too. You think so? When I read it, I was like, oh. Like, I, when I read it, I could see, I could feel the difference from just imagining, like, sitting down to having a draw a page of comics and be like, oh, God. Yeah. But then thinking about the feeling of drawing a friend I really like, a birthday card, and being like, oh. It's free. Yeah, whatever I want. Yeah. I could draw whatever I want. Whereas otherwise, I don't know who the boss is in my head, the imaginary boss saying you have to draw like this mm-hmm. or you have to do this thing, but there is an imaginary boss there. But wait, oh, and we liked the same comics. Like, I loved Dan Klaus and I loved Charles Burns. I totally, at SPX a few years ago, it was the first time I met Charles Burns and I was like, I was a little tipsy. It wasn't a big deal. I think he probably <laughs> won't even remember this, but I was just like, I love your inking. <laughs> I was just like, I just want you to know I really love your inking and your, and, and so nice. your brushwork. And <laughs> I don't, I, he maybe was like, oh yeah, maybe he hears it all the time. Like very specific compliments about his work, but. Yeah, I think, um, I've gotten to know him a, a little bit and, um, 
And uh, he's fun. he's a funny guy. He's really sweet. I think he's a little shy, but you know, like with people who are shy, they come across sometimes as like, like rude, maybe or or, or like, but they're not, you know. So I feel like anytime you have an interaction with somebody you admire, you're projecting on. Yeah. To them, whatever the thing is, and so right. every tiny thing they say is you're gonna take is like, whoa, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I always feel like if I'm ever interacting with anyone that likes my work, I feel like I really want to be friendly to them because I want them to know how I feel about them exactly, which is very friendly. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's so easy if you just are human and having a bad day or whatever for people to take it personally and be like, God, that person was so stuck up, or just to you know have some whole projection about it. Totally, I think it's really. I mean, I get kind of... So you go to these conventions and you meet the people. You get to see the faces of people who are reading your work and supporting you. And a lot of it you're getting back from them what you're putting out. Like, And so the people coming to me at the conventions, I'm very lucky. It's like, these are kind human beings. But I've seen some other artists whose work is more aggressive and tone and all this stuff. They get aggressive people because oh. it relate. They relate to the anger and to the you know where it's coming from in that way. So I feel like it's like that Beatles quote, like you, like the love you receive is equal to love you give. You yeah. know. So, anyways, I agree with you. And I, whenever I meet someone, I'm just and I'm honestly so thankful that they read my work or they're affected by it. It's like that's why I do it. Yeah. And those conventions, I feel like, are the one time when you get to actually interface with them, with those people. Like, book tour and, you know, signings and stuff. Because otherwise, doing comics is kind of in a void. Like, you you put it out there, you publish it, you know it has likes or shares, but that doesn't actually, that's not the same as somebody coming up to you being like, I liked that. Here, I'm a human who actually would be in your peer group if we knew each other or were in the same town. Oh, totally. There's a woman I met recently, and she had bought one of my books and this book was um it's called bright night at midnight and it um i did a diary comic every day for a year and then we published me and Finographics published the best of the year and for some people i think going into it they expected like a graphic novel experience so they were disappointed but it's more of like an art experiment and like an evolution of style um but this woman came up to me and she gave me the best compliment and she said I had this horrible job where I was she was like one of those gallery attendants so she's just bored and looking mm-hmm. at the same painting every day she goes what I did is I brought your book and every day I would read one of the pages like how I was creating it mm-hmm. and like save the rest for later and it helped me through this oh. job and I was like here's my phone number, <laughs> give me a call, <laughs> you know, like anytime you need to talk. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And also that is so much patience and self-control and such a cool way to do it. It's so cool. I mean, I would have never even thought to, to, you know, to have, here, this is why you should read this book, you know, yeah. but it's amazing. Um, I want to talk about your style change in a second, but I want to say one thing, which was in the introduction to your book, you talk about when you were a kid to clean your room, you would put like pictures of people clapping for you on the walls, <laughs> which is incredible. Being like, good job, good job. Yeah. I sometimes will do the opposite to myself. This is me. I mean, I do like, I have like little things that I do to show that I'm working. Like I put on a smock and I'm like, well now I've clocked in. Like I need to clock in at my desk at this time. And I put on my smock and I put on the same playlist. And at the end of the night, I spend 15 minutes to like clean my station, put everything away. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the dog and I sometimes dance to a Katy Perry song or something. So I have a lot of energy built up. But I'll do the opposite where I'll write myself very aggressively mean notes about, like, if there's a thing I've been procrastinating uh-huh. and I have a list, I'm like, do it, bitch. Like, I just have, like, a very mean, or just notes that are, like, very intense. Like, well, I'll draw a skull and crossbones next to a thing and be like, you need to do this or else. I do, I do similar things. You do? Yeah. Like, um, so, so, because I know you're asking, this is like a precursor to talking about like a stylistic change. Your style changed so much and right. I'm so into it. <laughs> cool, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's fun. Um, I was working on this page that's like uh, this black and white style that I, I did for 10 years. Um, and we'll do in the future also. But, um, and I went out and part of this, I feel like guilty admitting this, but it's just true, is that I can't really see my work from outside of myself but if I like smoke a little pot or drink a little bit I can go back and see it and I see exactly what's happening with it and where Mm -hmm. I'm coming from Mm -hmm. so this one night I was struggling with this page and I went out and I woke up the next day and I'd written a note to myself on top of the page and it said Leslie loosen up with an exclamation point from you basically and then I did a lot (laughs) I want to know about that because um I interviewed Eleanor Davis for the show. I haven't interviewed Sam Alden, but he did he did a talk at CCS where I heard him talk about this exact same thing that she did where they both they both came out of art school or whatever and had like these very tight styles that they both felt oppressed by in some way. Where he kind of was trying to idolize Craig Thompson and do a graphic novel and he did a whole graphic novel in that style. But then it never saw the light of day because he realized he just didn't like it and it wasn't his. So he put it away. And then Eleanor Davis, you know, got this two-book deal and did one of the books and then felt totally, like, uninspired. What was the book that she did that, was it Harvey Happy? No, it was her. That's great. Oh, that was, but that was, this was after her kind of, like, what was it? It was Stinky something? It was, like, a YA, like, book about science. But both of them had these, like, very tight black and white styles. And both of these people essentially put those things away, took a year off, and came back with looser styles. Like, Eleanor Davis is, like, How to Be Happy would be her on the other side of that. Okay. Yeah. Like, they both came back with looser styles that used a lot of color that seemed like their hands were more free Mm -hmm. and less, like, that super tight. I don't want to say almost, like, if you have, like, Joe Sacco on this end of the spectrum and I don't know who is, like, the the loosest person, the loosest, most free, full color. Jules Pfeiffer. Jules Pfeiffer on this end of the spectrum. (laughs) You know, everyone was kind of closer to the Joe Sacco thing. Gotcha. But so, was that moment where you saw the note that said, loosen up? I mean, that was just the beginning of it. Yeah. But it was something that was obvious to me. And, like, this is too rigid. And, I mean, I still, like, I'm proud of some of that, a lot of that work. But, um, but yeah, I just needed to change, I think. I think I just constantly need to be exploring different materials. And even within this style, it kind of has, it's kind of... Um, more fully formed and it's like I get bored and I want to like blow it up and like start again and to see what what I can do differently and how I can explore explore comics and try to do something that like no one's done but in my particular way you know yeah like searching for it like because it's like you said about like Sam like I see the Craig Thompson and his drawing still Mm -hmm. because I think he was his assistant or something like that for a while possible 
but yeah, so you get in that way, and it's like you just you really have to like kind of keep keep pushing yourself to go farther, you know. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's he's happy doing that now. I think I think of both of those people as people that it seems very free. Yeah, they seem free to me. Yeah, I don't know if I feel free. Yeah. I look forward to getting more free. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I mean, I like making comics, but it also is one of those things that's very hard, and you can get in the confines of your mind, just like this is how you need to do it. This is how we do this. Exactly. So that's what I'm like. I fought against, and I do. I actually do really feel free within the style, mm-hmm. and I feel free with. Not always, like, content, but um, I'm just always push. I'm trying to explore more and more different kind of situations. You know, autobiographical comics, you know, it's like anything. Like, most of them are, are not great, <laughs> you know? So, um, but what I think one can think of if you're trying to do it um, in a positive way is that you're not going to hit every note within every comic you make. But you're kind of making, chipping away at the sculpture of who you are and bring up different aspects that can lead to different ways of thinking about yourself and relating to other people. And so that the more and more you do, the more the sculpture takes shape and becomes something definitive, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought you were so, I thought these comics went together so well. Oh. Cool, These, this, this, this is a collection of comics that appeared in Vice. Yeah. How do you feel, as a human being, how do you feel different from your character? Um, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Or do you? I, I, I almost feel like that question is impossible. Like, I want to... I would be better to like take a little inventory, like, like my ask my mom or something. You know what I mean? Like, because she said to me, she read the last book and she goes, "This character seems more you than the other character that you were drawing." And I was like, "Why?" And she couldn't even say why. She couldn't say why. So I don't know. Um, but I will say, in regarding to the stories flowing together, so I had been doing the five-page comics for Vice for about a year, and I think, okay, I have enough. Let's, like, do a book of these. So I pitched it to Drawn and Quarterly, and they're like, great. It'll come out next year. Um, So I was like, cool, so I have time to create a through line with the work I'll be doing before the deadline for the book. Mm -hmm. So what I did was, like, and I didn't tell them I was doing this. Uh, My editor at Drawn and Quarterly, Tracy Heron, she's totally amazing person totally amazing to work with and I sent it to her after I had completed it in a specific order and I said I think this is the order it should be in let me know if you want to change anything and this and that she's like oh it has a total like it's these short stories but it's a total um it's kind of like it reads like a novel you know Mm -hmm. So I, I was like, cool, I, I didn't tell you that, just hoping you would get it. <laughs> yeah. And then she did, so that was great. But, like, I would even do, like, dumb things. Like, there's this one about, um, it ends about, like, reincarnation and how, like, if I had a choice, I would like to be reincarnated as a bird. Mm-hmm. And so then the next thing I wanted to do, just, like, a funny, because that's kind of heavy. So, like, the next one should be kind of funny and light. So I just did it starting out taking a quiz about, like, what kind of bird are you? Mm-hmm. And I got, like, this falcon, and I was, like, cool. And then <laughs> led into the next story, so there was just, like, these little kind of threads piecing the short stories together, which I did, you know, on purpose. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool. I teach a class at CCA, and I 
I'm having them do, had them do diaries. I had them keep a diary for the whole month of July. Mm-hmm. And then their assignment was to turn that into a diary comic. Mm-hmm. But my hope was that they could look at the month from afar and see if there was a narrative arc. Gotcha. It's interesting. I I was really happy to do it. Some students I find really are like, why are I'm not a memoirist. Why are you trying to make me do this? And I'm like, well, because if you can find the story arc in your own life, I feel like you can find a story arc anywhere with any character. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, So some of your work, so your work is now explicitly autobiographical. In the past, it was autobiographical, but like thinly fiction, just through having kind of anthropomorphic um, guitars and such. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean... So this work, I mean, it was kind of an accident. Like, I was just really searching. Like I said, like, I was like, I should loosen up. And then I was trying to have no preconceived notion of, like, what a comic should look like. And then it became this weird experiment in, like, marrying, like, abstract art with classic structure of a cartoon character like Doug Wright or, like, Charles Schultz would do with the minimal but very um, elegant, like, lines and um, character design. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, somehow that just kind of came out. <laughs> it's, it's like, a little bit magical, I don't know. Just, like, trusting myself and being like, you'll work this out, and, you know, if you fail, if you make a bad page, you make a bad page. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Have you kept a job throughout your entire career as a cartoonist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I've had, um, I've been bartending for nine years now. Um, I only bartend two days a week now, so that's nice. But it's nice because um, it gets me out of the house. I think it gives me a really good perspective on the time that I have drawing and a real thankfulness for the time I have drawing. Because I've noticed a lot of cartoonists I meet that, you know, they haven't had a job for a long time. They're, like, more bitter than I am because they're, like they don't realize how much they have because they have nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is so isolating. It's nice. I know when I there was a certain. I mean, I do all kinds of weird. I've always had like a million jobs, and now they're just more related to comics directly. But like the day, the time when I quit my final nonprofit job, like day job, day job, like a place where I would go and see a bunch of people every day, I was like, whoa! Like every interaction I have now has to be so specific like I'm never I'm not going to have those moments where I'm just like talking to a random person I would never normally talk to just because we work together yeah. like a co-worker or just meeting people and that was also the moment when I joined a gym or I wanted to like join a gym I was like I could just atrophy and isolate for as long as I wanted to yeah. but um, it seems nice to like knew that that wasn't going to be healthy for you yes yeah I knew that I was like this could be the shining really fast being a, being a cartoonist, living and working at home could turn into The Shining pretty fast. Totally, it's true. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but, um, you know, I just try to be thankful and, you know, yeah. But also the other thing is that I do get to meet lots of different kinds of people and they seep into the comics. Like I just did a comic for The New Yorker for the website and – it's about like two of my customers kind of like I changed the way they look obviously because but um 
but so it gave me a comic too, you know? Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal. Two, hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Mary Pinson, Allison Sharplin, and Shoshana Ruth Wechter. How do you protect the people around you in your comics? Like, I end up changing people's names or changing people's, switching around visuals or making composites of people. Yeah, me too. Yeah? Yeah. Generally, I would never make a comic that would hurt anyone, I don't think. And if I did, and that's hard because that means you're self-censoring a little bit and Mm -hmm. not being maybe as honest as you could be, but I just feel like, you know, there's like a, there's a pettiness to, to using like negative I don't know like a revenge comic or something like that you know seems yeah. seems kind of uh immature but um but yeah so most of the time when people see themselves in my comics like they're stoked yeah they're like oh cool like and I just did one my friend Dom and you I kind of so my friend Dom Dominique she's uh my age and so we have and we're both single and so we kind of like talk about like our relationships and uh gripes with that and I was like Dom is a badass Dom's not going to care if I really talk like if I kind of use our conversation within it so I took a picture of how I drew her sent it to her I said here's what we're talking about she's like you know fuck yes (laughs) and I was like cool that's so nice yeah I feel like I've done so many things that have just through telling my own story have exposed people around me in a way that I'm like sorry that I'm at a certain point now where, like, I Did have... Did you get in trouble, though? My mom gave me a one-star Amazon review, and, like, she did troll me for, like, a little bit. Like, my mom and my stepdad would, like, were kind of trolling me for a sec via text and calling me. We've since made up, but it was based on a book I did um. that exposed, like, a family secret that affected me. Oh. Um but so now, like, I have ideas in my head for comics I want to do, and they're very strong storylines, and I get it, and it sounds great, but I I really don't want to hurt anyone's feelings anymore. And also, I, yeah, and, like, the idea of 
figuring out how to tell a true story without someone feeling like I'm making fun of them or, you it's know. It's so hard to navigate. I mean, the amount of restraint you have to have to be successful doing autobiography is, like, through the roof. Yeah. And I had a friend recently who shared some work with me who wasn't using the restraint, and I kind of brought it up. It's like, I need, you need you need to use restraint if you're going to do this. Like, and I'm I'm not trying to be rude, but, like, I'm trying to help you. Because if you put this work out this way, like, not good. But, like, um, but so, okay, so about, like, moms, you know? Like, yeah. my mom's a character in the book, and I kind of expose the, f- I mean, my parents split up when I was six weeks old. My mom started dating when I was six months old so different guy all the time through my whole childhood so i have no idea what an actual relationship looks like Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate Mm -hmm. and i think about that too i'm like maybe that's a problem that i have but um but she liked it because she liked the attention i'm like yeah i did have a lot of boyfriends what's up you know what i mean (laughs) i was like cool mom awesome but i asked her recently to interview me about this book and i was like so we're gonna do that this weekend and it's part of the reason I wanted to do that was for people who are navigating this like we are and just showing that you can have a healthy relationship with someone and respect them and still have it be therapeutic for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I feel like I have that with you know, different people I've dated who I've written about mm-hmm. who just, I think because I'm drawn to artists, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise. Like I think lay people, when they read a book, they're like, whoa. <laughs> You know, like, was this person just, like, astounded that you just drew about your life? I'm like, well, no, they met a diary, a diarist, like a diary cartoonist. And then they're an artist who writes songs about people or whatever. And so it just didn't, it wasn't, like, a huge surprise to anyone. And I probably was drawing comics about our life as it was happening that they saw and signed off on. So, And so generally with those people, it can be like, hey, I did this comic about our time. Here's the things that came up. And also I generally come away with some kind of emotional resolution myself from having to see myself from afar Uh and through a different narrative lens to make it kind of balanced and then spending like six hours at a stretch just recreating a hard time we had together Mm. i generally come away with it with some kind of self self self-regard that then i can bring to our present day friendship or relationship or whatever well that's great that it's a positive experience you know i mean you don't here's i mean when you're doing this work also in order to stay sane it's like you have to want to be doing it you know Mm -hmm. and that you know they always say it's like cheesy thing it's like draw what you love you know that's why i started drawing the guitar with the arms legs i love guitars you know so i'll draw the guitar but um so to to that's difficult because it's like you're then inhabiting a kind of negative space within but also finding resolution and having it be cathartic. I sometimes feel like I don't go deep into these dark places in my work because I want to enjoy being there doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is my time. I can deal with that um, when I'm thinking, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm sitting at a cafe. When I'm drawing here, I want to be thinking about the positive, life-affirming aspects of my life um, to as a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. That's such a healthy way to go about it. <laughs> I definitely just, I mean, I've had, I think I've had all the moments, like the shining moments where I'm in the middle of nowhere, isolating for days at a time, drawing things like my dog dying of cancer or something and just being like, ah, 
and it just, I'm like, it just has to get done. I'm just doing it. And it's not, I don't feel like rad afterwards, but I just was like, this is the thing that had to happen. Yeah, I understand that too. I've done that. I've worked through that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've cried while I was drawing my comments oh, before, yeah. you know, so. Is there anything else? Like, I find that I, I've gotten more private the longer I've been doing the longer I've been doing autobio, the more private I've gotten in other aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you specifically don't write about or in your head you're like, I will not write about this subject? Um, I don't know. I guess probably, yeah, like, I don't write about sex, but that's, there's there's a few different reasons for that. Um... I'm not interested in exposing other people. You know, I, I don't want to get that type of attention from other people in the comics community. Mm. And, um, which is, but I think that I could write about it in a fiction book, which I plan to, but, um, I also like the idea of like having a comic, and I've always done this, that, doesn't rely on specific things that would bring people to the work like mm. like uh like sex or, you know what i mean because that's too fucking easy you see something like sex sells right yeah. so you uh, the book about sex so it's like no let's take that out i mean this is probably the main reason and then find something interesting with this work that doesn't rely on like what advertising relies on mm-hmm. but just relies on like a, a motive like visual experimentation and like making an art product not an art making art and not a product Mm -hmm. to sell you know i think about that because i'm on patreon Uh and different people i've talked to have been like well you know the top you know the top things on patreon are all like sex comics and i I just i'm like and like so like there's like one split second when they say that where i'm like well i want money Should I just draw something sexy? And I'm like, I really don't want to. I also don't like drawing about sex. I feel like I give people enough. But then I'm like, can I just have anything? Can I yeah, live? Right, right. Like living for me is having sex that I'm not then having to like draw in my diary. I, or sometimes I forget that I can draw that. Yeah. Like I could draw like a sexy picture. And so there have been times where I've like literally drawn like a pair of underwear in my sketchbook. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Scandalizing yourself. Yeah. Or like I've drawn sex for myself in a sketchbook a couple of times and I like I like blush. Like when I find it randomly, I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, what is that? It's yeah. like looking at a picture for me, because you're kind of embodying something as you're drawing it too. Sure. So I, I this comic I was working on this week um <laughs> has to do with um I'm referencing the X-Men. And part of the reason I did it was like, oh my God, how fun would it be to try to draw a rogue? I haven't tried to draw a rogue since I was like 13. Yeah. So I'm looking up all these 90s like pictures of rogue. It's just like, just terrible, terrible drawings. And then I finally found one. I was like, okay, that one's all right. I'm going to, but like, you know, it's like, so I'm drawing it and it's like, you know, the male representation of like uh, this physical body that like is non-existent you know what I mean it's like boobs and there's no like gravity and like you know whatever but I started drawing it I'm drawing it I'm going oh fuck I get it drawing this way is really fun (laughs) like I can see why they wouldn't want that like taken away from them you know yeah but um 
But yes, yeah, so I had a fun time drawing the X Men. <laughs> I tried to draw X Men kind of characters when I was thirteen or fourteen too. Yeah. And What's it, your favorite? God, I, don't, I mean, I liked Rogue. I don't know who. I don't even remember who I liked. What was like? I don't know. What was that girl's name that was like the teenager? Jubilee. Jubilee. Like I thought she was cool. Yeah, I, I don't love know. Jubilee. But then I would draw my own versions of people that were wearing that had like they were like part cyborg that had like a weird full body kind of spandexy suit. Uh-huh. And, you know, like, big boobs and, like, <laughs> mildly anime or part Marvel face. But I would spend hours on a drawing of them just standing in some cool pose or even with their hands on their hips or something. Yeah. But then I was like, I can't make it move. Right. I can't draw it over and over again. You couldn't use, like, the foreshortening. <laughs> oh, hell no. Of them going, like, this kind of, like, like, your arm coming towards the camera, spitting out a spider web or throwing an orb or whatever the thing so then I was like this doesn't look like Marvel I was like I guess I can't do comics and so I actually threw it away until I fa- I stopped making comics for a couple years until I found like King Cut mm. and the Assassin and the Whiner and Ariel Trag and like just different people that did auto bio stuff and self-published stuff that didn't look like that yeah and I realized an American Elf yeah. and I realized like oh this exists there's a place for me yeah I, I had a similar experience where I was like oh I comics i can't really draw comics those are either for superhero or they're like for the paper and then when i found like the stuff that inspired me i was like just like immediately my brain flipped and was like that's what i'm gonna do for the rest of my life yeah it was like immediate and uh yeah stupidly i doing it but um but it's good i mean it seems like for me i don't know how you're feeling about current stuff within comics but the world's in a horrible place right now. Everyone's freaking out as they should be. But weirdly, it's like I feel like I'm in a I'm in a better place in my personal life than I have been in a few years. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a hard like balance, like what's going on in the world and what's going on in your personal life and to kind of have to separate them a little mm-hmm. bit. Have you been having issues with that? Mm, no, we we've, we've tackled some of that on the podcast. I like um, somebody asked an advice question a few weeks ago. They were like, "What do I? They're like, I have like good news to share about my life, but how do I do that via social media without feeling horrible? Because there's so much other stuff going on." Mm-hmm. And Beth Pickens, who was the guest then, was talking about how you know, like bad tragedies happen every day. Like, incredible things happen every day all around the world. Tragedies happen every day around the world, whether or not we are reading them in the 24-hour news cycle. And so you just have to be experiencing your life as it is and kind of experiencing both. Yeah. And not just succumbing to one or the other because it's not actually helping the people experiencing the tragedy if you make yourself as miserable as they are, even though you're not being affected directly by it. And then if you can be nourished and come from a healthy place, you can give more to other things. I think that's super healthy. I'm glad to hear it. Um, And I think one of the things for me has been difficult. Self-promotion is very difficult for me. Um, So that, that switch that I flipped in my brain had to do with like, okay, this isn't selfish necessarily. It's not like just attention seeking. This is sharing something that I care about and that might potentially help someone else or even just give them like a few minutes of laughter in their day or brightness through color or whatever you know so it's it turned from like selfish to actually just sharing and caring you know well for me (laughs) reading your book the sharing and caring you did it was it was so nice and like we still need 
entertainment and we still need good like quality stuff and you are a woman and you're not a republican <laughs> and you're not a white supremacist and you are making like a really nice grounded book that i think um i don't know could could lend somebody some comfort or joy in an otherwise harsh harsh day i can't just all be looking at twitter being like oh yeah, i know i know which i appreciate um do you have any advice for young cartoonists or old cartoonists. That's my new spin on my old question. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, I don't know. I just... Advice. I guess... Just... The kind of work I want to see right now is obviously coming from a positive place, trying to make the world better and not making ego-based work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what I would say to young cartoonists is like try to find work that that is more real and honest and not just make <laughs> product, you know, mm-hmm. for for gratitude. Like, because people think oh, I'm a cartoonist, I want I want this and like certain accolades. Mm-hmm. Those are meaningless. Yeah, and once you get them, you realize how meaningless they are. So don't think about that. Think about the process you're inhabiting every day. Think about respecting the form, pushing the form forward, and you know, respecting yourself and respecting other people through the work. Mm-hmm. That's so valuable. Can I say I'm very happy that you have a job a couple days a week because I feel like it makes making a comic sustainable and it doesn't put so much pressure on it that then you feel... I'm, I'm projecting, but like, I just feel like it's easier to like get into a K hole where you're like, ah, about your comics when it's, you have to rely on it so intensely. Yeah. I, I said that too. Like someone asked that, the, you know, advice for cartoonist question. And I was like, get a job. Yeah. <laughs> That's my advice. Get a fucking job. But, um, you know. Somebody asked the other week, they, an advice question they asked was like, I, I want to make a graphic novel, so should I quit my job? And I was like, no, don't quit your day job. And I don't mean that in like the shitty way. I just mean like, I mean, also I like, part of the thing I like about doing the podcast and talking to cartoonists is letting people know most cartoonists, unless they have rich parents, I mean, even everyone has a secret source of income or not even secret. People have day jobs or people have rich families or people do illustrations for hire or people do stuff that people don't just get to like make comics in America at least for the most part indie cartoonists if you're not like working in a Marvel factory dungeon somewhere you there's nothing wrong with having a job doesn't mean you're a failure no it just means you're a normal person well it's nice it's also like uh, separating success and accomplishment or thinking like how what do those things mean to you like do you want to be an accomplished artist who, like you were saying, just kind of is in the craft and is pushing the form and just getting to live that practice every day? Mm-hmm. Or are there other kind of benchmarks of success that you're looking for that have to do with capitalism? Right. You know, and it's just, there's kind of no correlation. No. And the other thing is about, like, popularity in comics. Like, I have to say, like, look at our culture right now. Like, the most successful th- movies and films are mostly the dumbest stuff, you know? So popularity doesn't really mean much to me. If people, if not many people are reading work, I don't care because, like, I like 
the thing reason I got into comics in the first place was because I liked the weird stuff that no one else was paying attention to. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was yeah. something for people who were m- maybe more like-minded and that needed more outlets than just what you see in like the Cineplex and what you'd read, you know, as a bestseller. So to me, it's like somehow like some kind of weird badge of honor, almost like not being very popular. <laughs> but it's like you're popular to it's sustainable. And so, or do you feel like, is there like ever a thing where you're like, okay, I think if this exact kind of person reads this comic or if someone gets this out of it, then I will be like, okay, I did what I came to do. Yeah. And hoping that people get things out of it that I wouldn't even know, you know, like, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm just trying to do it, trying to make, I'm trying to enjoy doing it hopefully like be slightly helpful or entertaining to other people keep my expectations low live simply be kind to other people that's that's it you know i think that's that's pretty strong <laughs> i think it's a strong place to end <laughs> leslie sign thanks for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me so kind of you sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.